Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. Well, we did it. CanMed 2022 is officially in the books. Thank you to all of our attendees, presenters, sponsors, exhibitors, media partners, and team members behind the scenes who make it all possible. It was great to see everyone in person again and learn about the latest advancements in the field. We discussed novel cannabinoids, new treatment protocols, exciting new advances in breeding and cultivation, stronger safety testing methods, and of course, the latest advances in our understanding and use of medicinal mushrooms. It was also nice to socialize with people at the various networking events and chat about things outside of cannabis because, after all, there's more to life than just work. And if you didn't make it to this year's event and you're feeling a bit of FOMO and you're looking for information about our next event, stay tuned. We will be announcing details next month via email and social media, so make sure you're following our accounts and have signed up for email alerts. Speaking of social media, if you are following our accounts, you may have seen videos of me interviewing some of our presenters in the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge that we had set up at the venue. If you watched those videos, then I'm afraid this episode is going to be a bit redundant because today we're bringing you three of those interviews recorded live at CanMed 2022. The first is with science keynote presenter Ethan Russo. The second is with presenter and medical practicum instructor Eloise Thiessen. And last but certainly not least is medicine keynote, medical practicum instructor, and CanMed staple Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. Each conversation is about 10 to 15 minutes long, and we talk about the value of in-person meetings such as CanMed, as well as details about each presentation. One quick note. You will notice that the audio quality on Bonnie's interview is poorer than the others. That was my fault. I forgot to turn my microphone back on. But the good news is that Bonnie's mic was on, so you can hear her just fine. And she's the one you want to hear anyway. Our next episode is May 25th, and we will have three more interviews from the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge. Those with Cultivation Keynote, Seth Crawford, presenter Innie Afia, and we close out with VIP dinner presenter and oral presenter, Dr. Deddy Miri. I should also mention that the video versions of all of these conversations are up on our YouTube page. So if you prefer to consume them that way, I'll provide a link in the show description. Before we get to my conversations with Ethan, Eloise, and Bonnie, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor and the sponsor of the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge, Medicine Women Health. Medicine Women's team of specialists includes medical doctors, naturopaths, medical cannabis experts, nutritionists, and alternative health practitioners. These integrative teams evaluate health issues and design targeted protocols to promote personal healing. Medicine Women's protocols have successfully alleviated symptoms of cancer, autoimmune diseases, and neurological conditions as well as providing overall health rejuvenation. For more information, visit medicinewomenhealth.com. 
Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversations with Ethan Russo, Eloise Thiessen, and Bonnie Goldstein. Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge, here live at CanMed 2022 in Pasadena, California. I'm Ben Amaral, host of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast. And I'm here with Ethan Rousseau, our science keynote presenter here at CanMed 2022. Ethan, great to see you. Well, it's lovely to be here. I regard this as my coming out post-pandemic. Yeah, and with that said, how nice is it to be back um, in person at a meeting like CanMed? And what are you hoping to get out of this event? Well, it's familiar but novel at the same time. Uh, we've all been cooped up for a couple of years. This will be my first in-person presentation, although we've made good use of Zoom uh, for presentations all over the world. Um, so, you know, I found out I don't have to be there, but I certainly wanted to be there for this. Yeah, and again, what is it about an in-person event that makes it better than, you know, Zoom, which we've been living with for the past few years. Well, you don't have the ability to network uh, on Zoom the same way. You know, it's not just the meeting, it's the uh, little get-togethers in uh, a quiet room afterwards or dinners together, uh, the chance to really get to know your collaborators, all that, you know, that's irreplaceable. Right, yeah, the business really takes place between the talks. Sure. Excellent. And now, are there any presentations at this year's event that you're looking forward to? Oh, there's so many. Uh, of course, Professor Mishulam, um, my spiritual uncle on all this. Right. Um, uh, Dustin Sulak, Bonnie Goldstein, um, uh, yeah, Stacy Gruber, so many. Yeah. No, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I was just curious. And um, so your keynote presentation, it's titled Cannabis and Psychiatry, The Final Frontier. And um, I have to admit, I'm a little curious about the final frontier part, because um, certainly there must be some additional frontiers that we've yet to conquer with cannabis medicine. Yeah, there are. The other notable one would be the area of obstetrics and gynecology. Hmm. Now, what they have in common is these were very uh, commonly uh, indications for cannabis-based medicine in the past. Historically, the literature from the 19th century and even before pointed to those areas as being ones where cannabis-based medicine was very effective. Particularly for psychiatry, though, um, it's sort of a forbidden territory yet. Mm. Same with obstetrics and gynecology. Uh, most psychiatrists are extremely conservative, uh, particularly about the uh, idea of a drug of abuse, i.e. cannabis, uh, that can be used therapeutically. But I think many of them are unfamiliar with the history. And they're also thinking in terms of what they've seen, which is really abuse mm -hmm. related to THC. But there's more to cannabis than just THC. Right. And the real uh, contributions are going to come from additional components. Uh, with maybe just a touch of THC. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, because obviously THC is the, the known psychoactive compound. So is that sort of essential to be 
uh, used here? No, they're preparations. For instance, there have been a couple of randomized controlled phase two trials of cannabidiol as an isolate. Um, in uh, treating schizophrenia quite effectively, but the doses were so high, 800 to 1,000 milligrams, I think that we could do a lot better with less, right. making it more accessible and less expensive by having other components, particularly cannabigerol, which I'll be talking about oh. uh, in the keynote. Um, that's a component of great promise. Uh, most people really haven't had access to it uh, let alone knowledge of its potential. Yeah. So is that an example where, you know, these additional compounds can sort of, um, when I, when I talked with Kevin Spellman about some of the pharmacology of, of the different compounds, he explained that some of them are almost serve as an icebreaker where they can sort of help with the penetration of the medicine. So is that an example of why, you know, the entourage effect is so important? Well, it's just one factor among many. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I named my paper Taming THC back in 2011 because that really describes a lot of what some of the minor cannabinoids and terpenoids will do is increase the therapeutic index of THC, making it a better, more tolerable medicine. Hmm. Excellent. Okay, and so I wanted to quote from your abstract here. You said that the endocannabinoid system has a critical ro role in neurotransmission and homeostasis of the limbic system. Can you speak more about how endocannabinoids and phytocannabinoids help regulate this important area of the brain? Sure. So the limbic system are the emotional centers of the brain, of course. And what we find is there's a very high density of the CB1 receptor where THC and the endocannabinoids anandamide and 2-arachidonoglycerol work. Mm. So that, that was a hint. I mean, when this was established back in the 90s, it was obvious to some of us that, boy, there's a real target there. And this explains why cannabis could be so effective for a variety of psychiatric conditions. Um, and really, that's the foundation. Uh, then it just becomes a practical matter of what do you use, what's in it, what's the dose, um, where's it going to be most effective. Um, that's what I'd like to be working on, uh, you know, for the rest of my career. Right, you gotta conquer that frontier, right? Hopefully. <laughs> um, and I did wanna bring up, since we're talking about psychiatry, it's, it's becoming a bigger topic kind of in our circles and we have a few presentations about it here at this year's CanMed. Um, psilocybin and psychedelics, um, what role would they play in psychiatry? Uh, again, great promise. Uh, there's been a resurgence of interest in the psychedelics. Uh, just analogously to cannabis, it's been submerged for some decades because of prohibition. Um, but uh, again, I'd like to be a student of medical history. Um, back in the 50s and 60s, there was some tremendous research on psychedelics uh, for a variety of conditions, treating addictions, particularly alcoholism, uh, intractable depression, end of life things, the same kinds of things mm -hmm. you hear now. Um, so it's interesting how there's been sort of a transition uh, from cannabis to psychedelics. Uh, and it may be that we've got uh, psilocybin or MDMA available uh, as pharmaceuticals before there's better access to a wide range of cannabis-based uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, it's not a competition. I'd like to see both. 
Um, uh, something I'd like to emphasize is most of the current research on psychedelics is focused on synthetics or single molecules. Um, I think that there's synergy in the psilocybe mushrooms and many of the other botanical sources of psychedelics and uh, I hope to focus more on those uh, rather than the isolates. Right. So again, the entourage effect. Uh, yeah. If it works for cannabis, it should work in this <laughs> realm as well. Excellent. Um, and so in your abstract, you also mentioned, you mentioned it here. Um, answering one of the earlier questions of there being a long history of using cannabis to treat mental conditions. What are some good examples of that? Well, it only goes back about 4,000 years. <laughs> you know, the Sumerians, uh, there was a listing of the attributes of what we believe is cannabis. I'm sure it is. Um, but one of the, the lines about this plant was for or against panic. And <laughs> that is a 4,000-year-old demonstration of the biphasic dose response curve of cannabis, meaning at very low doses, it's great for anxiety. A dose that's too high and induces anxiety. Right. There it is, right there. So um, that's a blueprint for everything that, that came before and hopefully will come subsequently. Uh, another highlight would be um, uh, Jean-Jacques Moreau de Tour in France uh, in the 1830s wrote a whole book uh, about the promise of cannabis uh, for treating schizophrenia and other psychiatric conditions. Unfortunately, the tradition didn't carry through to the modern day, but mm. we have a chance to right that historical <laughs> wrong. Excellent. Okay, and just in closing, before I let you go, um, just curious that, you know, given that so much of the research that goes into medicinal cannabis is done by privately funded companies like your own, how important is it to come to events like CanMed and share that information with the community? Because not all companies are going to be as forthcoming as, as you and others. Well, again, you have to keep some things close to the vest in terms of development, uh, uh, like it or not one has to have intellectual property attached to sure. be able to continue the work. Um, as it is now, um, we have found ourselves at Credo Science going uh, into a few tangents to try and support the operation. But we've got a lot of proverbial irons in the fire. Um, uh, but the chance to network, uh, again, is fundamental here uh, to see with whom you want to collaborate on whatever level, who's got the novel extraction technique that might be ideally suited to the medicine that you're trying to develop. Right. Um, seeing what the markets are. Uh, it's always a matter of what, what are other people doing? Um, how can we either work with them or uh, maybe it generates a new idea you can take in a different direction. Um, so again, it's that intellectual interchange that's just fundamental to how science advances. Yeah. No, and that's one of the things we've noticed in the last few years, there being more sort of announcements of novel technologies or novel methods that, that go on at the event. So uh, we like to think that's the strength of the event. Hopefully. All right, Ethan. Well, thanks again for taking the time. Hope you enjoyed your time in the CAMED Coffee Talk Lounge and okay. look forward to having a great event with you. A pleasure. Thank you.
Welcome back to the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge here at CanMed 2022. I'm your host, Ben Amaralt, host of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, and I am joined today by Eloise Thiessen. Eloise, Thank thanks, thanks for, for joining us. Um, first of all, how nice is it to be back at an in-person event? <laughs> oh, and um, in your opinion, what are the main takeaways that you get from an in-person event like CanMed? Well, it's great to be back. It's so good to see people and reconnect. My favorite part is getting to actually um, have in-person conversations. You know, there's something missing in that virtual Zoom world. Sometimes you just can't connect with people the same way you can in person. So um, lots of opportunities to ask questions too and um, talk about our experiences in a way that you don't get to on Zoom. Right. And, you know, it's important to bring that up because we do make the presentations available on our YouTube channel and in our archive, which is a great resource. But but you're right. It's those networking opportunities, those conversations in between the talks that you get the real value. Yeah. And of course, the hugs. Yeah. Hugs are nice. <laughs> uh, are there any presentations at this year's event in particular that you're interested or looking forward to? Oh, absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing from Dr. Ethan Russo. I'm looking forward to hearing from um, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein as well. I always love um, hearing Dr. Dustin Sulak because you get a lot of that clinical um, implications and how they practice real world, real life experience with patients that you just get to take away great nuggets. Yeah. And they're a big part of our practicum as are you. Yes. And I was in there a little bit earlier and I saw during your welcome that you, you asked how many people in the audience, this was their first experience mm -hmm. doing medical cannabis training. And there were a lot of hands that went up. I would say about two thirds. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. really promising. Mm -hmm. It is. Because yeah. we need more trained physicians and, mm -hmm. and nurses and nurse mm -hmm. practitioners out there too. Absolutely. Yeah. Very important that your healthcare team starts to understand the value, um, the risks, the benefits of cannabis, because as we know, our patients are using it. Um, there's no turning back. Train Absol has left the station. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so and about that, so your presentation, in addition to your time on the practicum, in addition to your being a panelist on, on a panel, uh, it's all about managing Alzheimer's and dementia mm -hmm. symptoms with cannabis. Um, first, I was wondering, can you speak to how common these symptoms are, especially in assisted living communities, and what makes them so difficult to manage? Oh, yeah. I mean, the neuropsychiatric symptoms that we see in dementia happens in the later stages of dementia. So, you know, early diagnosis, you, you know, may just start to notice memory loss, but these symptoms of agitation, anxiety, um, aggression really start to come as their memories become even, you know, more void. So that that point they're usually not even recognizing their loved ones or their family members so you can tell that they're just this constant state of anxiety it's actually quite heartbreaking to see um, and we don't have any FDA approved medications to manage these symptoms so people are either using off-label medications or they're looking to you know try something sort of outside of the box like cannabis right and you know i saw that in your abstract as well where you said that there are no fda approved medications well, that's that's surprising mm -hmm. given how prevalent it is and why is that the case <laughs> i you know i wish i knew i mean it's for me what is really interesting is to see that the medications that we do use like antipsychotics have this black box warning which means there's a higher yeah. risk of death associated with use in dementia patients so even what we are trying to use feels like the risk is way bigger than any benefit. Um, I think that 
you know, more research probably goes into trying to figure out how to prevent um, or slow down the cognitive decline associated with dementia, but not into the actual managing of the behaviors. Interesting. Okay, and I guess that's a good segue. Is there an opportunity or is there potential to use cannabis as a preventative medication? There's definitely some preclinical data to suggest that it's a neuroprotectant. Um, of course, it reduces inflammation. Um, there was a small study looking at it preventing the beta amyloid plaque buildup, although there's some debate now whether or not beta amyloid plaques are actually contributing to Alzheimer's disease specifically. So um, I would like to see more research in that area to see if it can help with the anti-aging process that of course can contribute to dementia as we age. Excellent. And I know we mentioned that there are no FDA approved medications now. What do you think the chances are of getting an FDA approved cannabis medication <laughs> for this? Well, what's interesting is um, Nabok uh, Sativex, which is not approved in the United States, has been um, studied uh, for the use of neuropsychiatric symptoms in dementia patients. And so I think there's an opportunity for that one-to-one -one CBD, THC, um, oral mucosal spray to be used to manage. I mean, the, the results have been incredibly promising. It's been helping with sleep and agitation. Sometimes you see a return to appetite. You see improved quality of life. So I think until we actually have approval of something like that here in the United States, I mean, uh, it's going to be a while, but I hope so. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's great that you mentioned sort of that, that improving the quality of life aspect of this. Mm -hmm. And I know, especially dealing with geriatric patients, like that's a, that's a major concern or not, mm -hmm. or a major, a major goal, I should yeah. say, is mm -hmm. improving that quality of life and maybe speak to how, how cannabis can help with that. Yeah, I think um, it's actually the conversation I love to have with the family members because often when they come to me, they are um, usually saying, well, I want to try CBD right. for, you know, my, um, my mom or my dad's behaviors. And, you know, really THC, a lot of the data does support that THC is going to be really effective. And so having that conversation with them because they're a little scared of THC, about what does euphoria look like for them? You know, so letting them know that, you know, well, maybe your dad's gonna smile again. Um, you know, he might laugh at things, find things funny again. And, you know, usually they go, you know, that'd be really nice to see my dad happy again. He's, but it's very um, anxiety producing for the family members and caregivers to see how distressed their loved one is. So it really does have this like positive domino effect to just see them um, making jokes again or engaging in conversation the best they can. And now are you finding those conversations are becoming easier to have where, you know, seniors or families are becoming more receptive to using cannabis just because, you know, whether it's the anecdotal evidence or the actual evidence that's been coming out seems to support it. It does. And it also helps when in the assisted living communities, I have a lot of um, champions there, both staff, caregivers, uh, other families who have been, you know, having their loved ones use it. So you get a lot of community support around it mm. um, and acceptance, which has been really nice. And, um, you know, sometimes I have uh, patients who have such great success that their spouse will actually go up to the other family member and say, let me tell you a little secret. I got my wife on these gummies, you know, you should <laughs> consider it. <laughs> Absolutely. And one thing I wanted to ask you too is, 
you know, there's a growing interest in psilocybin mm -hmm. or psychedelic mushrooms. And, you know, even us at Medicinal Genomics, we're beginning to explore that and see how we can mm -hmm. sort of help um, move that along. Um, I'm curious, is there any sort of evidence or potential for using psilocybin to, to help with these conditions? Yeah, I mean, specifically in the neuropsychiatric symptoms, uh, no, but I think there's great opportunity there. You know, it's, you know, with looking at, you know, palliative care, you know, when, when people are diagnosed with a terminal illness, but maybe they're gonna live for years, like with dementia and Alzheimer's disease, I think we really have a missed opportunity of how do we, help these people still enjoy life. You know, where's the pleasure for them, whether that's with, you know, psychedelics and psilocybin or cannabinoids and euphoria, um, listening to music again, you know, having those pleasurable moments. I think um, there's great opportunity. And, and we know that we're seeing um, psilocybin helpful for things like mental health challenges and pain. So I, I know there's, there's room yeah. for it. People want to feel good, right? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it at all. Absolutely. Okay, so in wrapping up here, I did want to get your thoughts that, you know, given that so much of the research that's being done into medical cannabis is being done by private companies in a lot of ways, just because of the, you know, the realities mm -hmm. of prohibition, how important is it for those companies to come to events like CanMed and share those insights so that, you know, the, the whole community community can kind of benefit from that and we can help these patients. Oh yeah, I think it's essential. I mean, you know, we need to be listening to each other uh, in terms of what everybody's doing and, you know, again, figuring out how do we come together as a community to, to really help these patients. Um, there's different unique perspectives that people have that you may not really, again, understand um, unless you're coming to these events, networking, having an opportunity to ask these questions that, you know, maybe you didn't even think of until you're in the moment with those people. And um, so I would really love to see the industry come together more. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's great. You mentioned that the different perspectives, and that's one of the things we like to focus on mm -hmm. at CanMed. We have the, the wonderful healthcare providers like you and mm -hmm. Bonnie and Dustin, um, but that we bring in the cultivators and the yeah lab safety testing and, and everybody. So. It's so it, there's so much to learn when it comes to cannabis. I can see why it's intimidating for some healthcare professionals because I never understood the value of, um, you know, learning more about botany. Um, but that has been eye-opening for me as a clinician and the lab testing um, and the cultivation, all of that. It, I couldn't do what I do unless I understood all of those components. Excellent, we, and we couldn't do what we do without people like you. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to our sponsors, Medicine Women Health and the Hemp Coffee Exchange for sponsoring this great CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge. And we'll be back with more. Welcome back to the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge here at CanMed 2022. I'm here with Bonnie Goldstein. She is our medicine keynote presenter here at CanMed. Bonnie, welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you in person again. It is so nice to be back in person. It's been a long two and a half years, and it's just great to see everybody here. Yeah, and so in particular, coming to an event like CanMed and being here in person, what is it that you're looking to get out of the event? 
Well, you know, we haven't really had a huge amount of education over the last two and a half years because we've all been home. And so I'm really excited to see my fellow cannabis uh, scientists um, and hear what they have to say that they've learned over the last two years, their latest publications, where the cultivation side is going, where the medical side is going, and just looking um, really to get more information. Yeah. And... And to that point, are there any presentations in particular that you're excited to hear? Well, I'm always excited to hear Dr. Ethan Rousseau. He's like our medical cannabis guru, and he's doing a talk on the latest in um, uh, for cannabis and psychiatry. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, yeah. I spoke with him a little earlier today. Um, and it's, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, too. Uh, it's great to have a full hour of, of Ethan. I think it's a treat for everyone. Um, so you're participating in the medical practicum, you're giving a keynote pre- presentation, as we mentioned, and you're participating on a panel. So thank you very much for everything that you do for Kate. So tell us a bit about what you're going to be presenting about in your keynote. Though. I know it's about uh, pediatrics. That's right. So I'm focusing on uh, two conditions that are very commonly treated now with cannabis. So one, epilepsy, and uh, certainly we're seeing great results. And very, I'm very excited because there's a ton of new research that just came out in the last couple of years because this is still new. Mm-hmm. And now we're finally getting some long-term results. So I'll be talking about that. And then also with autism, I'm gonna be talking about some research that I've done where we published two papers in the last six months looking at uh, biomarkers collected in the saliva that help um, document the impact that medical cannabis is having on children with autism. Yeah, no, it's, it's good that you mentioned that. You know, epilepsy, that's sort of, I mean, that's pretty well established, right? In terms of using cannabis for epilepsy, but autism, that's one that's really starting to gain steam. So it, it's great that you have the, this data now that's, that's showing the biomarkers. You can really quantify that, really show that. That's right. And what we're finding is that the biomarker improvements correlate with what the parents are reporting. So it's no longer anecdotal report. We now have uh, objective data, which, you know, really we don't have for pharmaceuticals. Nobody's doing that. So I would say that this actually puts cannabis on an even playing field with pharmaceuticals to treat autism. Excellent. Excellent. So let me speak a bit about the panel that you're going to be on as well. Um, What are the goals there? So I think with the panel, I'm going to be sitting with other clinicians and we're just going to share our collective experience treating thousands of patients with medical cannabis. And what's interesting is that we all come from different parts of the country and we're all working in our practices and we're all finding very similar results for people with dementia, for people with chronic pain, for people with anxiety, depression, uh, that cannabis is this unbelievable um, and useful tool uh, for doctors to start incorporating. Really, you can't be a doctor anymore and ignore the endocannabinoid system. You have to understand that this plays a major role in human health and that um, by not offering cannabis as an option to patients, especially to those who are not finding good results with conventional treatments, you're doing a disservice. Yeah. No, and I think it's important too that 
even if physicians aren't going to necessarily be recommending it, to at least be knowledgeable enough that if your patient comes to you with questions, then you, you can answer them. Right? right. You want to have a conversation. And this idea of there's not enough research. Well, one could say that, but I just had to race through a presentation because there is so much research that I, I wanted to share. And again, it's not a panacea for everything. This is just another tool in the toolbox of uh, um, that physicians and other healthcare practitioners uh, should be including in their practice. Yeah, and one encouraging sign that I noticed when I was sitting in on the practicum a little bit earlier is when Eloise was welcoming everyone, she had asked people to raise their hand if this was their first experience getting medical cannabis education, and a good amount of people raised their hands. Yeah, so, a- absolutely. Um, when you're sitting in a room and a patient asks you about something and you don't know about it, and then that happens over and over again, as a scientist, right? Doctors are trained scientists. We should know about this so that we at least can have a conversation with our patients that's meaningful to them so that we can help them. And again, not everybody should be taking cannabis, but at the same time, you want to be able to be discriminating in those when you have these conversations with patients. Who might it help? Who might it not help? That's what you are, are there to deal with your patients is to help them sort out all of this scientific data. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that you, you mentioned too is all the research. And you know, one thing that we find, especially you know, with the prohibitions on cannabis, there's only so much research that can be done. And a lot of it has to be done by these private companies, um, much like you know, Canformatics and the study that you had talked about earlier. So with that said, how important is it for these companies that as they're getting new data to come to events like CanMed and share that? Because, I mean, obviously they are privately funded companies. They are putting up their own money and they might want to withhold that. But, you know, it is important to share. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a statistic that says that something published in the scientific data takes 17 years to trickle down to the clinician. That's a long time. So conferences like this are so important because, one, there's camaraderie and all of that, but at the same time, we're all learning about what other people are doing in this um, very uh, important field of cannabis medicine. Absolutely. All right, Bonnie, I know that you're busy, as we mentioned, with your your many responsibilities here at Camden, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And um, have a great event. Thanks so much, Ben. I hope you enjoyed my conversations with Ethan Russo, Eloise Thiessen, and Bonnie Goldstein. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsor, Medicine Women Health. Our next episode featuring three more conversations from the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge with Seth Crawford, Inia Fia, and Deddy Miri will drop May 25th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, I hope you will continue to engage with us on social media contribute to our CanMed community Facebook group, and sign up for email alerts. Don't forget about the CanMed archive at canmedevents.com, which houses videos of all our previous CanMed presentations. We will be adding the CanMed 2022 videos soon, so stay tuned for that. And one last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Doing so really helps the podcast reach more listeners. Okay, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please join us on the next CanMed Coffee Talk.